Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Genesis chapter 43, we are continuing to study the gospel according to Joseph. Um, I want to ask you a question. Mercy, do you know it? Do you know it? UCB, are we known by it? Are you known by it? Mercy. Uh, There's a pastor named Ray who tells a story of uh, a time when he was fresh out of high school. He wanted to learn about ministry, what it means to be a pastor, to work at a church. Uh, But he was kind of this clueless Florida kid, big heart, no ministry experience or skills. So he did something pretty strange. Uh, He packed up his car and he drove up to Appalachia, my, you know, my region of the United States from Florida, Uh, went to this small town in West Virginia and started working at a church. He actually moved in with the pastor and the pastor's wife named Beth. He says that every night Beth cooked dinner for the family. And every night that Beth cooked dinner, she would cook a little extra. And Ray's job was to take that extra dinner and to deliver it to a woman named Alice Clevenger. Now, Alice Clevenger was an unhinged elderly woman who lived across the street from this little Appalachian church. And Alice Clevenger had a reputation. As a matter of fact, there's this one story where um, Beth, the pastor's wife, was across the street at church, and she's leading the choir practice when all of a sudden in bursts Alice Clevenger. And she marches down Uh, the room, and she points, and she harshly starts screaming, you're a witch! You're a witch! She's pointing at Beth, the pastor's wife, and holding her shotgun in her hand, she screams, I'm going to kill you. And yet, every single night, Beth made Alice Clevenger dinner. Mercy. That was more than 30 years ago. This pastor still talks about it. Why? Because mercy is powerful, isn't it? Mercy is powerful. What is mercy? Uh, You know, our working definition of grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is really the beautiful starting point for grace. It's when you don't get the thing that you do deserve. Like the way Alice Clevenger deserved, oh, I don't know, a restraining order? (laughs) or to be removed from her house and maybe put into an institution. Uh, But she didn't get that. Beth gave her mercy instead. Why? It's because Beth had received mercy. And you see, that's the way mercy works. People who get it, give it. People who get it, give it. That's the story we find as we pick up on the life of Joseph here in Genesis 
chapter 43. People who get mercy, give mercy. Are you someone who gives mercy? And if not, then why? Could it be that you've never gotten it from God himself or or that maybe you've forgotten how much of it you've been given through Jesus? So I'm going to look at this passage. I'll read the beginning portions of it, and we'll just kind of pick it apart as we go. Uh, There are three scenes, if you like outlines. Um, The three scenes to this story are desperate for mercy, surprised by mercy, and then the warmth of mercy. Who knows, maybe it will warm you up, actually, as we sit here. This is God's Word, Genesis 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring trouble on me by telling the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know that he would say, Bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Lord, um, we would love to remember as we look at your word the riches of mercy that you have given to us in Jesus. So would you clarify my words And Lord, by your spirit, would you enable them to land on our hearts so that we could see you as you are, a God who is rich in mercy and generous with that mercy to people like us. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. People who get mercy, give mercy. And if you're someone who has gotten mercy, then my guess is that you're probably someone who has found yourself in a desperate situation before, because that's how it all starts usually, right? A desperate situation like Jacob found himself in uh, at the beginning of our story. I mean, one of his boys, Simeon, is being held hostage, essentially, in Egypt by this cruel man. He doesn't know it's Joseph, his other son, but being held hostage. And then another one of his boys, well, uh, Benjamin, is going to be the ransom payment for the hostage. If Benjamin doesn't go with the other brothers, then Simeon's never coming back, and that's bad. And then there's this whole other thing that was set up for us last week that you may remember, that as the brothers were bringing their food that they had purchased in Egypt, 
there had been their silver planted in their bags. And so they were going to go back to Egypt with Benjamin looking like a bunch of thieves and in all likelihood were going to get arrested right there on the spot. And so you heard Jacob lament last week to the brothers these words. You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Everything is against me. He's in a desperate place, isn't he? Or he was. Now this is two years later. And guess what? Their food has run out. The text says that the famine was even worse now in the land. And now Jacob and his sons and all their children and their servants and all their children are going to starve to death unless the brothers do what? They take Benjamin up to Egypt to buy more food from Joseph. Judah steps up, takes some leadership, verses 8 and 9, and makes a proposal. Send the boy along with me. We'll go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. It's an impossible scenario for Jacob, isn't it? It's an impossible scenario. And some of you are facing an impossible scenario right now. Some of those I know about. um, Some of those I don't know about. Uh, I want you to know that your elders here at this church really do care about you. And so when we hear of your impossible scenarios, whether it's your relational crisis, um, the conflict you find yourself in at work, your vocational crisis, hardship financially, your diagnosis, when we hear those things, we do care. And we do try to pray for you, but often we can't come up with these eloquent prayers that you might expect pastors and elders to come up with. Often our prayer is pretty simple. Lord, have mercy. Lord, from your heart, would compassion overflow and you intervene and rescue our friends. Lord, have mercy. Jacob's got two choices. He can watch his family, his children, his grandchildren, his servants, their children, slowly starve to death. Or he can take this risk and send his boys with his beloved son, Benjamin, up to Egypt. And they can plead for mercy. That's exactly what he does. But he doesn't do it without blessing them in the process. Listen to what he says, verses 13 and 14. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your older brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Now, I want you just to imagine being in Jacob's shoes, okay? And just imagine all of your sons uh, walking away. How must he have been feeling in that moment? Um, It is highly likely that he'll never see those boys again. Boys, they're men. He'll never see those men again. It is highly likely that they will arrive in Egypt and that somebody will say, oh, you're the thieves who took your money back and went back to your land. Uh, You're arrested. Oh, and here's Benjamin. 
he's arrested. That the boys either go to their death or they go to be enslaved forever. And then his family starves to death anyway. Joseph, or Jacob rather, knows that the mercy of God is his only hope. It's the only hope he and his family have. And I get why his last words could make you think that he's just resigned to a bad ending. Well, if I'm bereaved, then I'm bereaved. And I get why you could think he uses the word mercy in a way that you and I often use the word luck. Like, well, I hope you find some mercy. Uh, Good luck out there. But that's not actually what's happening in his heart because of how he describes God. Did you catch it? Maybe you have a footnote in your Bible uh, on verse 13 like I do. Um, That footnote explains that the Hebrew translation of God Almighty is El Shaddai. This is not a Hebrew lesson. Um, Here's why that's important. The first time we hear God referred to as El Shaddai is when God refers to himself as El Shaddai. When was that? It was in Genesis 17, one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. It goes like this. When Abram, or Abraham, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And as you read that story, you see God go on to make some huge, huge promises to Abraham. Promises like wealth. Promises like the land. Promises like uh, nations worth innumerable descendants that will come from Abraham and his wife Sarah. And the sweet promise that God will always be his God. And Abraham and all those who come from Abraham will be his people. That sounds really good and really spiritual. Turn back a page to Genesis chapter 16 and look when that promise comes. It comes right after one of Abraham's biggest failures. When he and Sarah had this plan of providing their own family, right? When he uh, conceived with Sarah's servant, Hagar. So this promise of God, this promise full of hope for Abraham and his family, comes when Abraham deserved it the least. In other words, it's full of mercy. It's full of mercy, right? God could have said, Abraham, man, you are really screwed up, and I'm going to go find another family that's a lot more moral than you. But no, no. No, God shows Abraham great mercy. El Shaddai is a God full of mercy. And Jacob, as bad as he looked last week, as scared as he was at the prospect of losing Benjamin, Jacob gets it. He remembers that God is a God of mercy as those sons walk away. He knows that what could be coming is that they all die in captivity, but he remembers God 
He's a God of mercy. He's a God who makes promises, a God who keeps promises. And God has promised that my family, that those boys are going to be multitudes of nations worth of innumerable people that come from us. And so he pleads and he sends his boys, may God Almighty grant you mercy. Because you know what? Without mercy, our family and its story is over. He's desperate for it. Are you? Are you desperate for mercy? Do you know that without it, there's no hope? May God Almighty grant you mercy. The story goes on. Jacob's sons, they arrive there in Egypt. This is when they are surprised by mercy. We'll start moving a little quicker through the the story now. I'm going to read verses 15 to 18. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal there to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told, told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So you see it, the men are trembling on their way to Egypt. They're afraid of what's going to happen. Joseph sees them from a distance, right? And he says to his steward, can you set me up a fancy lunch with all of those guys? But the men don't know it. They're terrified, right? They're thinking to themselves, what is about to come at us is justice, is judgment. We're not going to his house to eat. We're going to his house because we're about to be eaten. We're the main course. He's going to enslave us and take all of our stuff, and our lives are going to be ruined. And so they grovel with this steward, begging for mercy, confessing this perceived crime before they can even be accused of it, verses 19 through 22. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke with him at the entrance of the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put the silver in our sacks. In other words, hey, We know we look like thieves, but we're not thieves. We promise. We don't know how that that got there. There there must have been a mistake. But regardless, we beg for your pardon. We beg you for mercy. We beg you for mercy. And there's some tension, right, in their hearts. What's going to happen? Well, look what happens. Verses 23 and 25. It's all right. He said, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were 
to eat there. They're surprised. Surprised by mercy. Not only was their food already paid for, not only were they not arrested, not only did they get their brother back, not only do they get water for their feet and fodder for their donkeys, but now they get a meal with the second most important person in the region. They get a meal with Joseph. They're invited to feast with Joseph. That is mercy. And what did they do to deserve it? Nothing. They did nothing to deserve mercy. So why did they get it? Well, it's because Joseph is one of those guys who had gotten mercy and therefore gives mercy. When you get mercy, you give mercy. And think about how many times in this dramatic story of Joseph that he would have cried out to his God, God, have mercy. Have mercy. And God was good for it. And so he gives mercy. But that's not the ultimate reason these brothers get mercy. The steward actually says it, doesn't he? The ultimate reason is because this, your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. They get mercy because ultimately they belong to God Almighty who gives mercy, who in terms of justice, well, they deserve his displeasure. That sort of God gives mercy. They deserve jail for their trafficking, and yet as the story continues, there they are having a feast with the one they trafficked. Wow. That in a nutshell, by the way, is the message of Christianity. I don't know how new some of you may be to Christianity, but that's it. Uh, I love the way the Apostle Paul uh, frames our story, the story of God's people in Ephesians chapter 2 with mercy. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Come on, Paul, that's a little harsh, right? All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Oof. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, that is your story if you're trusting in Jesus. You and I were born into rebellion. It's genetic. Um, and as we have grown up from a very young age, we have learned to participate very willingly and often happily in that rebellion against God. And God says it straight. He doesn't sugarcoat it. You were by nature objects of wrath, people deserving wrath, even to the point that we are called spiritually dead and thus deserving of what? God's wrath and displeasure. But the story doesn't end there, does it? There's good news because God is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have 
been saved. It's not because we suddenly became more moral, cleaned up our lives, and God was really impressed with us. No, it's while we were dead spiritually that He gave us life in Christ because His heart is full of mercy toward people like you and me. It's not that God is soft on justice, right? The mechanics of how this works is that God delivers justice to sin. Only Jesus steps in front of us on the cross and absorbs that justice, dying the death we deserve and giving us the life that we don't deserve. And I know that many of you, like me, have heard the message of the gospel thousands of times. But just slow down and really think about it. It really is surprising, isn't it? When you're really honest with yourself and how bad you are and how messed up you are, that God would love somebody like me. Why? He just does. He just, that's just who he is. His heart is full of love for someone messed up like me to the point that he invites me to feast with him through Jesus. Surprising, isn't it? Tim Keller says something fascinating and simple. Um, you don't have to become more moral to deserve or to get this, to deserve this. All you need is need. All you need is need. In other words, people who realize how desperate they are for God's mercy are the people who get surprised by it in the Scriptures. They're the people that get it. And that brings us to the feast and this most heartwarming part of this story. I want to finish, uh, finish talking about the warmth of mercy. Verse 26. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlled himself and said, Serve the food. So they served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment because Joseph shouldn't have known that information. Verse 34, when the portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. I love that moment where Joseph sees the little brother he's been separated from for 22 long years. He sees Benjamin, his own mother's son, and he has to remove himself to weep in his room. He has to go and regain his composure, and come back out. I want to zoom in on verse 30 there because I don't want you to miss the other explicit mention of mercy in this passage. 
verse 30, our translation says that when Joseph saw his brother, he was deeply moved at the sight of his brother. If you're looking at the ESV translation, you'll see the way they translated it. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And that word for compassion in Hebrew is the word mercy, the same word for mercy that Jacob used when he sent his boys off saying, may God Almighty grant you mercy. It would have sounded something like this in Hebrew. His mercies were heated up for his brother. It's the warmth of mercy. And it's beautiful when you frame this whole story because there the brothers go off on this dangerous journey. And what is it that Jacob is praying for them? Mercy, Lord, mercy. And there at the end of this chapter, there is mercy in Joseph's heart warming and bubbling up and, blow, and bubbling over, overflowing into the heart of the people around him. And how powerful is that mercy? Well, there's more favoritism here again. And the brothers don't seem to mind it. Benjamin is given five times the portion of the other brothers, but the brothers don't begrudge that favoritism. Rather, they sit and they feast and they drink, they make merry, they have this incredible time at this abundant feast. And that is the power of mercy in a family that was so divided and competitive. That's the power of mercy. And you just want Jacob to be a fly on the wall so he could see all of his boys back together again, don't you? All of them eating, drinking, and making merry. And we'll get there, but next week. For now, um, I want us to look at a challenge. I want us to look at a challenge that we find here for all of us who would identify as followers of Jesus, okay? I asked you earlier if uh, you knew mercy and if you were known by mercy, kind of like the way Beth, the pastor's wife, was known by uh, mercy. Has your heart, in other words, been warmed by God's mercy so that it is overflowing that warmth of mercy to all the people around you? And I want you to just look at the world around me Take the pulse of our world and see if you agree with me that we live in a world where there is very little margin for error and therefore there is very little mercy. Just pull up Twitter, go on the internet, read the news, watch the news if you can handle it um, and listen to the way people talk about each other. Look on the internet. When someone important makes a mistake, when maybe they just didn't do their job well, maybe they have a moral failure, people in droves on the internet line up to shame, to ban, to cancel that person, to say things like, can you believe this guy was so inept? Can you believe she was so stupid? Can you believe what a hypocrite he is or she is. And here's the worst part of it. As best I can tell, Christians are doing it as much, if not more, than anyone else.
Historian and sociologist Rodney Stark said, you know, things were actually a whole lot like that first, second, third century when Christianity was trying to take root in the world. Um, it was a place where justice prevailed. And not justice like, oh, let's bring justice where there is injustice. No, like cruel, uh, demanding, exacting sort of justice where there was no room for error, where no one could make a mistake. So this is what he writes. In the pagan world, and especially among the philosophers, mercy was regarded as a character defect and pity as a pathological emotion because mercy involves providing unearned help or relief. It is contrary to justice. Thus, humans must learn to curb the impulse to show mercy. The cry of the undeserving for mercy must go unanswered because showing mercy was a defect of character, unworthy of the wise, and excusable only in those who have not yet grown up. And so I ask you, do you want to change the world? Do you really want to change the world? Then realize that, look, people do wrong things. And they're going to do wrong things until Jesus returns and gives us new hearts. And people find themselves in desperate situations. Some of it's their fault and some of it's not their fault. And it's going to be that way until Jesus comes and remakes all things and purges the world of desperation itself. You want to change the world. What was it that changed the Roman world? It was mercy. It was the warmth of mercy that people had received from God who is rich in mercy, bubbling up and overflowing into the Roman world, and it changed everything. It was Christians like you and me just extending mercy to the people around us. We have a massive opportunity right now to see the world changed by God's mercy. When you get mercy, you give mercy. Last story. Uh, one evening, um, 15 or so years ago, a woman named Victoria Ruvalo, Vicky, was driving to her little niece's uh, voice recital when all of a sudden an object hit her windshield and came through the windshield and hit her in the face. What she didn't know was that there was a group of teenage boys driving in front of her. In that car was 19-year-old Ryan Cushing. He and his friends had just stolen a credit card, were on uh, a buying spree. They were joyriding. They thought it was cool to like throw stuff out the car window to see how the other cars would react to it, including the 20-pound frozen turkey they had bought. So they took this frozen turkey, threw it out the back window, bounced windshield face, and she almost died. After a coma, after 10 hours of life-saving surgery, facial reconstruction surgery, after the tracheotomy, after months and months of painful recovery, you and I would probably be out for blood, wouldn't we? <laughs> Take this Ryan kid and make an example of him. Put him away forever. Forever. But instead of blood on the day of a case in court, Victoria begged for mercy. This is what she said. Despite all the fear and the pain, I've learned from this horrific experience and I have much to be thankful for. Each day when I wake up, I thank God <clears throat> simply because I'm alive. I sincerely hope that you have also learned 
from this awful experience, Ryan. There's no room for vengeance in my life, and I do not believe a long, hard prison term would do you or me or society any good. If my compassion, if my mercy will help you mature into a responsible, honest man whose graciousness is a source of pride to your loved ones and to your community, then I will be truly gratified and my suffering will not have been in vain. Ryan, prove me right. And it was astonishing because the judge heard and the judge said, okay, he should have gotten 25 years in prison, 19-year-old kid. He got six months in a local jail, and probation. She gave mercy because she had been given mercy by God. Jesus on the cross cries out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Pleading with the Father for what? For mercy. For people like you and me. You want to be a person known by mercy? And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is rich in mercy. Mercy for you and mercy for the world around you. Let's pray and ask him for help. Jesus, thank you for this passage. Um, although it is a passage between passages, um, thank you for filling it with mercy. And we'd ask that you would fill our hearts with that same mercy. That we would be an extension, a vehicle of it to the world around us. Not for our glory, not so we can make news headlines or feel good about ourselves, but for your glory, that every knee would bow, Jesus. Every knee would confess that you are Lord in appreciation of how good you are, how merciful you are. This we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.